Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. My sponsors for season three of One for the Road are the amazing Rock Sober, a brand established in 2017 and led by brothers Sean and Lee, who are both in recovery and on a shared mission to inspire and support recovering addicts worldwide. Injecting rock and roll into sobriety, Rock Sober offers merchandise and accessories to inspire and empower its community of sober badasses. The boys have recently launched a new range of alcohol-free beers which are taking the market by storm. Every beer purchased will help Rock Sober on their mission to support and inspire more people in recovery. Their message is clear. You don't need alcohol to have a good time. So let's all rock sober and remember the good times with Rock Sober AF Drinks. My guest today on One for the Road burst into the music scene in 2001 as a singer in the band Liberty X. Recently, she has spoken openly about her issues with drugs and alcohol, but she is now celebrating a wonderful nine months of sobriety. And this is one of the most open and inspiring interviews I've recorded up to date. I am so excited to introduce to you the wonderful Michelle Heaton. So, Michelle, welcome to my podcast, One for the Road, and I'm absolutely delighted to have you on. How Thank are you? I am. I'm okay. I'm good. It's funny, um, this recovery lock. If you had asked me this time last week, I would have said, on top of the world, I'm smashing yeah. it. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and today I'm okay. It is funny because when I met you, it was at the Tickle Pink campaign and I gave you a hug and you were really nervous. And I think it was because it was one of your first nights out and it was quite a big event and that, and you was with a couple of friends. And I remember exactly how that was for me, like being out in public and being around people that there's alcohol involved and that is a real challenge, isn't it? It was definitely the hardest event I've ever been to. And it was because it was my my first outing out. And I went because I wanted to, because I wanted to support the charity. But I should have said no, because now I understand boundaries. Mm. But they weren't in place then. And I took my friends along for support and they were wonderful, but they didn't want to drink in front of me, but I allowed them to. And then I regretted allowing them to. So then I felt like a bit mugged off, but it wasn't their fault at all. And I just remember I was so uncomfortable in my heels. It was the first time wearing heels in a long time because of COVID and everything. And I was freshly new into into recovery about a couple of months. And I just got over the, the, the pain of not having my addictions anymore. But then I'm presented with it straight away. And I think that I was, I felt so uncomfortable just being there. But it wasn't about the drink, actually. I do think at that point, the obsession slightly had lifted. Um, But I was harvesting anger for being there. Nothing about the charity or the event. Angry that I was there. Angry that my friends were able to drink. Angry that I wasn't normal. And I left really early. I left actually before the entertainment, which was a shame because I really wanted to hear her sing. But And we actually went to a bar nearby. And the anxiety lifted. So I think it was just that I felt all eyes on me, but it probably wasn't. Mm. It's just that's the ego in in us, you know, the ego that everyone's staring, but also I can't mess up. And I wasn't gonna, 
But that fear of messing up was just too much to handle. Mm, I, I could understand that. And I've been there before as well. But you, you're in media and that, and everyone knows that you're in recovery. So I, I suppose when you say the eyes are on you, it's like, how is she? How's she getting on? There's drink here. How's she going to react in that? So, But I think it's also important what you say about boundaries. Yeah. Uh, that's absolutely. so important. Yeah, I've learned that. Um, you know, I'm coming up to, I'm nine months in a couple of days time, which is amazing. I couldn't get nine hours. You know, you hear this all the time in um, in the meetings in the twelve step program that um, we couldn't get a, a, a couple of days, or I couldn't get nine hours in reality without a drink um, or a drug, really, towards the end. And the boundaries I've only really acknowledged that I have that power now to put the boundaries in, and I need to. And that's actually so freeing that it's okay to say no to certain things. If I'm not feeling great or I'm not spiritually well or fit or in a good headspace, because nobody expects anything of you, right? You get invited to things. And I was always a yes person. I was there. I was that person. You know, what was, what did they say? This D list celebrity that's it. They're in the envelope, inviting them an envelope. But, um, I was that person. And that's because I wanted a party. So it wasn't so much that I was desperate to be seen on the red carpet. I was there because there was free drink and it was just another excuse to load my addictions it didn't it wasn't the reason why I became an addict it wasn't my reason why I was an addict it was just another thing and um whereas now I have that power to be able to say no because I'm not chasing that high I want experiences and be able to enjoy them and the the beautiful thing is I'm able to enjoy them now with boundaries in place you know I take my husband with me most places who is who doesn't drink is a teetotaler and um and then or I I bring a friend of mine or my manager who has my back and a get out of of, of jail free card you know where I've got maybe a backup of somebody bringing me if I text SOS Mm. and I have been in numerous situations where I felt like I needed to leave Mm. um yeah but that's boundaries and you learn that you do learn it and it's it that's real self-care michelle isn't it because it's not just about having a bath and an early night and making sure you eat correctly it's self-care around how you can look after yourself the best way you know and i always say that if you don't feel like doing something or if you're not up for it then don't do it because it could really challenge your sobriety and as you know that's the most important thing to maintain Absolutely. If I am not spiritually um, fit in my sobriety, um, I'm of no help to my sponsees, to my husband, to my kids, myself. And, you know, when I went through the steps and stuff, I recognized through learning from my sponsor that um, myself is first on all these things. Who have I hurt the most? I've hurt myself. Who do I need to make up to myself the most? Because I never had self-love. And being able to to have more self-worth and self-love enables me to have more power over saying no to situations and learning when to leave. So I'm going to wind it back a little bit. There's two things I want to say to you. One, you have my favourite accent in the whole of the <laughs> world. I absolutely love. And and are you called a Geordie? You're from Gateshead, right? I'm from Gateshead. Now I'll st- now I'll start a little bit more. Like I- I'll sound more ah, Geordie now that I'm talking about man. it. But I have moved. I did move away from Gateshead when I was like 19. So it's coming out now. So yeah. half my life has been down here. So it's a bit softer. But yeah, Gate said. So some would say Mackham, but I okay. would say Geordie. It's Mackham or Sunderland. Yeah, it is. So Gates, it's kind of like in the middle, that borough that ne- that nobody really wants to live in. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely evolved since I lived there, but it was kind of in that, you know, very much council um upbringing so and the second thing is do you know that you have or i have exactly the same birthday as you no yeah, 19th of july oh my god I, you were saying that hesitantly just in case it wasn't right no i know it was <laughs> yeah it's oh exactly god. the same day. so That's there's amazing. something we've got in common i had yeah. no idea yeah That's i know great. cancerians eh we're the best yeah, I don't know if I am a typical Cancerian. I think I am now. Now I'm sober and I'm definitely me. And yeah. I'm very happy that I like me because, you know, that's part of recovery, learning, you know, the new 
us, right? Because I never really fully knew the me. Um, but I, yeah, I'm definitely, I like my home. I'm yeah. family is wherever they are. I don't need to be in a house. It's just wherever I'm with loved ones. Perfect. So how was it for you growing up then? I um, I was born in 1979 and uh, my mum and dad just left the Navy. Um, got married so they left to get married to have children you know normal council estate upbringing in the respect that you know very very little money mum didn't work to bring me and my brother up um, and then she did go back to work and she was a dinner lady in our school uh, she was a chef in the navy um, and then her being at the school created slight problems with with my self-esteem you know because my, my mom's very very loud and um came from a background of fighting for survival and I never had that killer instinct in me I I I hated the whole fighting and getting myself into situations that was in trouble if I was in trouble it was usually because of my gob because I would be really really loud at school and and I didn't know why I had all this energy in me because I was I was overweight, I was picked on, I was definitely the black sheep, but I was I was just one of those that kind of blended and I hated to blend, but I unfortunately just did. Um so the only way I could get loud and proud was to sing and act. And and I found that singing was just something where I could escape. So all of a sudden, right from very young age, um I wanted to escape from wherever I was I was never in trauma so as such I didn't get um you know I wasn't abused I didn't have that harsh upbringing that that we hear a lot in recovery and there's no reason why I'm an addict I'm born this way I'm wired like an addict but from a very early age I wanted to escape and um and dream I wanted to dream big um, I wouldn't say I was ambitious. I just wanted something else and I didn't know what it was. Um, but I knew I wanted to be a performer. So I I put all of my um, my heart and soul into that whilst trying to do what my parents wanted me to do, which was to be at school. My dad wanted me to either join the Navy or be a policewoman. And I was not up for that. So I had to kind of bargain with that and what I really wanted to do. And so um, I kind of balanced both, but it was hard. And then as soon as I could stand on my two feet, I I got jobs in nightclubs. I danced my way for money. Not in that respect. It was actually called Baja Beach Club, which uh, most people know from the Northeast. And it was really good fun. But I was always in a relationship as well. So I always needed to be loved. So I, I I can't remember, apart from maybe for a year in the band where I was single. So that just puts a whole light on the way that I see relationships. Um, I, I like being in a relationship. I like to be needed and very nurturing. Um, I, I, I was never swept off my feet because I'm also don't like people getting in my space too much. But I always want, I always like belonging because I felt like I never belong, because I don't know where I belong, if this makes any sense. And um, so with my addictions, I um, I was yo-yo dieting. I, I was binge eating. I made myself sick. I took diet pills when I was about 16, 17. And that was my first experience with, with drugs, um, because it had effigen in it, which is speed. And then I was addicted to that. So I was addicted to slim pills. And then I went on to effigen went on to speed, came back to ephedrine. At this point, cocaine wasn't a part of my story, but alcohol was always present. But I wouldn't say that I was an alcoholic at that point. I'd just say it was just there. It was a given in Gateshead growing up. It was just there. But I didn't drink till I was about 16. I didn't go out till I was 17. I played by the rules. Um, nothing major, just, just a normal Newcastle girl going out at a weekend, but with this feeling of not, of not belonging anywhere and and wanting something else so I was always looking for something else so I got that hit with the band and then um I I before the band I was in numerous different bands traveling up and down from London paying for bus fares for different auditions I just kept going and kept going and then you know pop stars came along and, and I got got into Liberty X well we formed Liberty X after Hearsay was formed and that gave me that high, you know, for, for many years, I drank very heavily, but cocaine was not part of my story. Um, none of us did it in the band. We were relatively normal. It was around us. It didn't 
it didn't have any impact on me at all. Um, I didn't feel the need to. In fact, I was scared to because at this point, my um, slimming pills addiction had caused me a heart defect. So I have um, a I had to have a loop recorder placed on my heart for a couple of years. And um, that was because I abused um, ephedrine and speed. But um, no correlation in addictions did I actually form, you know, at that point or until now. And then, oh gosh, I mean, I suppose fast forward to where where I got, right? It's 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 still hazy. I believe that my addictions with alcohol was um and and my starting to use cocaine was around seven years ago. Um shortly after AJ was born, after I hit menopause really early, where I completely did not belong anywhere. I had no idea who I was. Everything was stripped of me. You know, we, you know, people are going to be listening to this and there's always reasons. This isn't a reason why I became an addict. It's just another string to the bow because looking back, I was always an addict, right? So this is just another thing that I used or drank on because I didn't feel like I belonged or didn't feel like a woman. And I acted out and chased a high that I never got for the band because we were starting to split up. I never got because I wasn't, I didn't feel part of my girls anymore um, because I was all of a sudden older than everybody. Nobody wanted to have a conversation with somebody who's in hot flush at 35. I just, I just didn't belong anywhere. And so I found that I arrived at this party in this hypothetical when I, I mixed the two and my relationship with that was just simply on a, on a um when I was in a crowd or going out basis to begin with and alcohol really gripped me and I found that cocaine helped me drink more and at that point I couldn't stop drinking and um never never really tried to stop back then about three years ago how bad did it get because I never really got into the cocaine but I I know a lot of people that have Mm. um so I used to drink myself into oblivion and just fall asleep right but I know of some people that would stay up for days, like drinking and using mm. cocaine. And For me, because everybody's relationship with their addictions is different. I've now known, you know, I, I didn't cast myself an addict because I wasn't using cocaine that much or enough or a lot. And it wasn't, I wasn't going missing. I didn't, I mean, I, I have had a few blackouts now I know, but I didn't drink to blackout. I didn't have any consequences, they call it. I wasn't losing jobs at this point. So I was able to function quite well and I enjoyed it. And um, so it was, so I okayed it in my head. I was getting away with life, being actually quite popular at the time, getting jobs and what I thought was fun. And then quickly over a couple of years, it be, you know, just pre-COVID, I, I definitely became unmanageable with my addictions, but again, never saw it. And it got to the point back then where my husband and my manager and my friends staged an intervention with me um, about, let me just think, two years and about nine months ago. And um, I, I really did want to stop. At that point, I had been rushed into hospital and my liver was um up at 2300 which is ex- which is you know I should have already have been um you know on my deathbed really and I managed to cut it back slightly for them there's the point right so I managed to cut it back for them not for me mm. because um I didn't really want to stop and I convinced them that I didn't need to go to treatment I honestly thought I didn't and in fairness that wouldn't have been my story if I had have gone I am pretty convinced I would have it would have led to a relapse because I wasn't ready because I would have just been doing it for them. And then um, over the space of um, two years until I went into treatment this time, I, I it was COVID. I was able to do everything alone, hide it more. And it was heightened because it was OK to drink more because of COVID. Mm. And so it was um, it was normal to crack open wine at lunch. But my husband didn't know I was I was drinking copious amounts of vodka as well. And the the cocaine um, definitely got a problem because I when I had it, I was doing the promises. Right. Uh, Only only stay. But then if there was some left over, there would never be anything left over. I wasn't able to get it a lot. So I didn't see myself as an addict. I, I didn't have the money to spend a lot on it. So I didn't see myself as an addict. But the point is, when I stopped and I had it, I couldn't stop. And with alcohol, I, 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 I was literally 
left to the point where I was, what's the word they use it? I was drinking against my will. So alcohol, primarily, even though I am an addict of both and probably an addict of many, alcohol was my poison in the fact that I I was drinking against my will, going to the shops, buying against my will. And this sounds so alien to people who are not in um, active addiction or who have came out of it. They'll understand this. But people who are looking from the outside in, I don't they don't get it. And I understand that because I didn't get it because mm. I was like, what is wrong with me? I'm I, I'm literally lying to myself and praying to a God that I don't believe in. Help me. I'm going to die while walking to the shop and getting vodka at seven o'clock in the morning and drinking half it before I get home. And I was becoming so sloppy that my husband was finding things. And then he just had to shut off. He had to shut himself off. And I blamed him for everything which is heartbreaking. I blamed him and the kids and my friends because they had to shut off for their own survival. And now I understand. But at the time, I just blamed them and I got worse. It was just, yeah, it's horrible. Oh, I can really relate to that. Mm. Like the inner turmoil I had with myself, I was so frustrated and angry with myself for getting to where I was with it. I couldn't believe it. It's like I've gone from there to here. Yeah overnight and I used to take it out on the kids and my wife Em but she disconnected yeah a long time ago you know because she didn't know how to deal with me at all because she didn't understand it she's not a drinker it sounds like Hugh's in in the same boat you know yeah we had that conversation before I think when we met up very similar they had to shut off and Back then when we're in active addiction, we see it as, um, what have we done? What have we done? What have I done? But we know what we've done, but we don't really know what we're doing. We can't recognize what we're doing because we're powerless. Mm. And it is a disease. If somebody told me this last year, sorry, a year ago, um, not about me, but just in general, whenever I was around a conversation or I saw a TV show or a film about addiction, I still didn't clock how was that. Mm. I was like, oh, the poor bastard. Oh, my yeah. God. Why, why can't why can't they give up? Why can't they just stop? I, I truly didn't get it until I, I until I was to the point of death and I couldn't stop. So I pushed myself to that low, that rock bottom um, that most people don't need to get before they realize they're an addict. So I am um, last. So last Christmas. 2019, I was in Panto in 2020. Sorry. Um, in Panto in Liverpool and it was tier two so it was the only one that was kind of open it was in a hospital with um they they wrote down on my form it was a migraine but I know it was alcohol and substance abuse and um I managed to convince them that I had a migraine which I did but that was because of that I was um I was really ill I had to cancel shows I was told not to come back to Panto most embarrassing thing I've ever had happened to me. I let down everybody, myself, my family. I came home on that train with my tail between my legs. Um, my husband just just washed himself of me. He didn't leave me, but I could see he, he just left me. He was vacant. And then I knew then I had a problem, but for four months, I couldn't say it. So I allow myself to sit in this absolute pain and fear that nobody needs to. And I was about to die. So on that four months, I I drunk so much. I didn't use as much then as I had been. Um, money dries up, you know, and um, I but but drinking, I could always find some money for, for, for the vodka. And um, it didn't matter at this point what kind of vodka it was. It was just vodka, 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 neat vodka. I would drink it in the morning. I would be sick. I would be physically sick out that way, that way down. I would, I'd also cough up blood. And then once I was sick, I had euphoric um, recall over me that then I could drink more. And that's not normal. But I had four months of that every day, four months of being sick. My kids hearing me, he was waiting from home because of COVID. He made so many excuses. I now recognise to the kids, whereas I thought he was telling them what was happening. You know, it was just, oh, it was just utter, utter psychosis for four months. Now, I was an addict for many years, but for those four months, it was utter, dire, desperate. And um, you don't need to get that way. You know, don't, I allowed myself to do that because I was so fearful of what people thought mm. if I said the words. Do you think you 
was almost going out in glory with that, knowing that you had to do something about it. Because I had a similar experience there that I, for months, I kept saying to him, I know I've got to do something about it because I knew I was lying not only to her, but to myself because I was hiding booze everywhere, but I was forgetting where I was hiding it. And she would find it and she would just, in the end, just shake her head and put it in a recycling bin. You know, it's no big deal because she was so used to finding bottles everywhere. Yeah, it was very similar here. He would just leave it out and just walk away. And and that wasn't half of it, you know. Very We're very clever, or we think we're clever, very manipulating and very selfish. And um, I was getting bottles delivered on Amazon. <laughs> like... I, I go on my Amazon account and I can laugh now, but I was filled with dread when I first did. I went on Amazon about buy last orders and I was, I don't know, I wanted to go and buy some kitchen roll or something um, shortly after I came out of the primary and there was a two litre bottle of vodka and um, and I got filled with dread that that was on my orders of regular activity. And he never knew that because it would come in a box and I would always be at the door waiting for it, you know. Oh, it's awful, honestly. I, I remember Em was indoors with her friend and I had a box of wine hidden in the van and I would go in the side door of the van, shut the door and literally pour the tap into my mouth and then come back. And and I remember her friend saying at the end, I've never seen Dave like this before. He looks absolutely dreadful. Yeah, yeah, I had I had that with my friends for the whole four months, but bear in mind it was COVID. So not a lot of people were around. So again, it was shocking, I think, when I did see a couple of friends. So it was basically, there was a there was about a week and a half, right, before I went in the Priory. And I had no idea I was going to go in for help. So lockdown had slightly eased. You could go out to bars outside. So I'd planned these, you know, a couple of massive nights out. And my friend um, Nikki passed away um, at the beginning of that week and a half, two weeks. And was it a little bit earlier than that? I can't remember now. Timeline, forgive me. Um, But I was so ill with alcoholism. There was about four days before that I was going to see her. I was going to go see her. And I knew how sick she was. Um, Not a lot of people knew how sick, sick she was. So her passing away, we kind of knew it was coming. But I couldn't see my one of my best friends. And we've been friends for such a long time, since right back when she came out of Big Brother. We parties away, nothing about cocaine, just, you know, just usual great girly moments. Went to Marbella together and, you know, Hughes met her and um, she was a big part of, of that kind of era with me. And I couldn't go see her because I couldn't not drink. And I knew, and that was the only time I managed to say no, because I knew it would kill her. And I knew that she would want to have a drink with me. And I knew I was not strong enough to say no. Mm. So I, 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 that was my, that was my first higher power moment. I can now recognize that somebody was telling me, you know, because it's not thinking about it. everything's happened um, for a reason since that. Um, and I was just in such a mess. And I remember putting a post on Instagram of her when she passed and um, made it about me. You know, like, and I haven't taken that down because it's there to remind me that that's where I got. And um, yeah, but somebody was definitely watching over me that day because I, 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 I didn't go see her, and that was the right reason. Mm, I can really hear that. So, what was the absolute point that you thought, yeah. right? I am absolutely done with this. I remember being absolutely done for for maybe a couple of months. But at the absolute done-done, it was probably a week in the Priory, if I'm being honest. But the moment that, that I recognised I wanted what somebody had was when I was with my friend Katie Price. And um, I had just had that, a massive night out with my other friends. And it ended in a really bad argument. And my other friends um, had blamed themselves for me going in the Priory. And we know as addicts, that was nothing to do with it. Um, that was just another thing that I got involved with. I was I never experienced hangovers because I was a grazer. So I did things every day, but I was really hungover that morning. And I remember just needing more. And I think my husband was done, done. I think he was close to walking out. 
he was done. I had came in at 6am, couldn't find my key. You know, none of this was about men. It was, you know, he thought I was having an affair at one point, but my affair was with drinking, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to my friend's house and Kate came to see me and she she was like a different Katie. I was like, you know, what's wrong with you? You're not drinking, you know, you're not doing anything that we usually do. And she, and, and you know, I'll, I won't go into everything that she said, but she had came out the priory a few months before her. And she said to me, do you want what I got? And I, and, you know, as first time I heard that kind of saying, do you want what I've got? Mm. And I'm like, yes. And then it, the 24, 48 hours I was in the priory. So basically the best thing that I could have done was say yes. And then I stopped t- trying to take control of everything. I didn't actually think it was going to happen. I thought it wasn't going to happen. And I was resounded to die. I actually thought this is going to happen. I said, yes, kind of hoped it was going to happen, but knew it wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to go to the Priory. There's no way I'm going to go to the Priory. And there's no way that the whole world's going to find out I'm an addict. I just thought this was just another thing. And I, w- I was just going to die. I-, I had already come at peace, which was the fact that I had to die because I couldn't stop. And I didn't know there was a solution. And so um, with uh, Kate, Hugh, my manager and a couple of friends made it happen, got the funds together, got me the consultation. I remember speaking to the doctor on the Zoom and um, I didn't realise I had to do an interview to get into the Priory, but it turns out they don't take Tom, Dick and Harry. They take you if you're sick. Yeah. Um, and it's not a hotel. They take you if you are sick and this is your last resort. And it was. And then my best friend, Rochelle, tore me away from the house. I argued, I fought, Hugh fought. He thought that he could fix me still. He thought that by me seeing the kids that day, I would I would just stop. We now know it wouldn't have. And we now know that that had to be removed. Um, Rochelle understood addiction and took me away, took me to her house for a night. And I, I just remember the next day seeing Rosh in her kitchen. I had done 24 hours sober really determined that was my first 24 hours sober in, in years and then my body started to shut down so I started to go into a seizure and before I did I, I downed some pink gin that was that was the real real thing so you know if anybody's out there and they want to stop do do it do it safely get the advice because it's dangerous if you want to stop get medical advice medical yeah, advice is key um you know, it's not it's not as easy as saying cold cold turkey if you were as bad as I was. Now everybody's journey is different, but if I had gone cold turkey, I would have died. Yeah. So I needed the medical intervention, which was detox. So that's what the priory gave me. And I didn't I think I can't remember the first five days. I was in that detox, the DTs, the come downs, you know, I I abstain from drinking drugs, you have to, but what they do is they 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 give you a, a drug to um make you not seizure. And then it was about five days in, I had a massive panic attack and they 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 told me it was normal. I thought it was only happened to me. And then I really come to, you know, to light that I was in a hospital in an institution on a bed like who, who one flew flew over the cuckoo's nest in a padded room with 24 hour surveillance somebody keeping an eye on me to make sure I didn't hurt myself and now no I thought it was in case they thought I was going to hurt them and I was getting irritated by it there was bars on the window and that's and then and then a shield and that's to help to, to save me not because I'm it, it hurts seeing somebody else and I'm like what the fuck am I doing here mm. Oh my God. Wow. I'm like, I am, I'm exactly where you do not plan to be. I'm, you know, I, I, I didn't plan out to be an addict or to go to rehab. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then I kind of hit me and I knew I, that was it. I was done and I would do anything not to go back. And I have done that just so, I mean, there was some really, really touch and go times after I came out of the Priory because they got me clean, but they didn't get me sober. You stay sober in the program. And so about a month after I came out, I was sat in a lot of pain. I was mourning my drink and drug use. I didn't have it in my body. It was like I lost my best friend. Mm -hmm. I lost me. And I didn't know what me was anymore. And I, I, it was just heartbreaking. It's not like a poor me thing, but it's just, I can see why so many people go back out there because it would have been easier. You know, no word of a lie. It would have been easier to relapse in that moment than, than sit in that pain. But I just kept remembering that day in the Priory when I first said, 
I'm an alcoholic and I'm a drug addict. I remember saying that about a week and a half into it and really meaning it and really knowing what it meant. And, you know, there was no human power that would have allowed me to say that. And that's what I took from that. And that's when I started to get involved in the 12 steps and the program after the Priory, after I realized, right, that's that I need to do something about this pain. So I followed the suggestions. I got myself to meetings. I got a sponsor. I was really scared. You know, the 12 steps sounds really daunting. I, I'm still kind of convinced it's a, it's, it's a cult, but it's not. <laughs> but it's just the most beautiful thing I've ever had that, in recovery, in the 12-step program, I've made the best friends, people who understand my pain. I understand them. And I'm able to help people on a level that I never thought I could. And they've been able to help me. And without the program, without the meetings and without my sponsees and sponsor, I would, I might not pick up, but I wouldn't be sober in my head mm. because I wouldn't be well. I'd be battling that pain every day that I was in after the Priory unnecessarily when this program's free. And um, when I say no human power could make me well, it's because that's the truth. No human power. I could not stop. I could not stop. And there's no pill that makes you stop. It just helps you from seizuring. So it's like, it's like, so what's the other answer? What is it? Well, I still don't know. But what I do know is that something's looking after me. And as long as I don't question it, I'm going to be okay. I absolutely get that. I mean, I tried AA myself um, and it wasn't quite for me, but I totally get how it is for you. And the main thing out of it all is connection. Yes, absolutely. Because we feel so alone when we're drinking, but when we stop drinking, we feel alone. And it's almost like we need to be with people that get it because, you know, as you said, Hugh, my M, and that just didn't get it because she said to me, I don't understand why you can't share a bottle of wine with me. <laughs> and yeah. to me, it was like that half a bottle of wine is just a prick tease to me because I yeah. didn't want to drink three other bottles of wine. Yeah. You know? But being with like-minded people in whatever situation you're in, whatever environment, you know, I, I mix with the sober community and Instagram and, you know, I've got a Facebook group and I've got an app now. And the, the way we do it is how it serves us. And I can really see how this works for you. It's got structure. Yeah, absolutely. Structure is key. Yeah. As soon as I don't have structure in my day, like yesterday, for example, um, my day was as chaotic as it was when I was in the madness. And I wasn't drinking or using. I had no obsession to. But it felt like I was because it was a really erratic day in the sense that things weren't going according to plan. I was late picking up the kids. I had to get my friends to pick them up. And that kind of stuff I would do in the madness, manipulate situations for my own benefit. But this was out of my control. And still today, you know, nine months months on, I have to understand that I can't control everything. And I tell my sponsees this and other people who want advice, you have to understand the serenity prayer. You know, you 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 can't you can't control the things that you can't control. And I know that, but then here's me doing exactly that. So I have to keep reminding myself. And that's why you know the the connection with like-minded people is absolutely vital Mm. for sobriety because they remind me every day on a daily basis what I am and I'm okay with having that label because Mm. if I don't have that label of alcoholic or drug addicts then I'm back out there if I think for one minute I'm okay and I'm normal that's it I'm done if I think I'm okay to have that one drink you know, and that passing thought has come over me quite a lot. Maybe I wasn't as bad. You know, if I think about that too much, I'm I'm screwed. I'm back out before I even take a drink. Mm. And and so um surrounding myself with people who are like-minded is is my core sense of being sober. That's mm. what I feed off. And and with that, I've had them, I've got the most beautiful friendships. Um, I never thought I would have a conversation with anybody who was sober and enjoy it or maybe sober and somebody enjoy me and um it's just not as bad as I thought it's actually so much pleasant getting on stage you know performing the first time I did that sober I um I it was quite early on but Kelly and Jess had my back they were so good they don't really drink much anyway they weren't big drinkers certainly weren't partiers so I knew I was in safe hands and they took the right the alcohol off the rider we were staying in a hotel said did I want to share a room with them and I was like no no I'm a big girl I'm okay and I like my space 
Um, but Kelly stayed with me anyway. But I had this natural high that I'd never allowed myself to have, right? Because mm. I would always drink on anything, mm. anything to get a high. And now I'm with this euphoric high, natural high. I woke up the next day with a hangover, right? And I said to Kelly, oh my God, I feel like I drank last night. I haven't, have I? Because I had that dream, you know, that you, that you wake up and you go, oh my God, <laughs> drink. And she's like, babe, welcome to my life. This is what I feel every time we do a gig just because of the high. I'm like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> so it turns out I didn't, I don't need a drink to be mm. me and to have fun. And I'm better on stage, not drunk. Figure that <laughs> Well, you have your natural dopamine hit, don't you? You know, yeah. from life, really. And, you know, waking up every day without that hangover, being present with the kids, being present with you, which I imagine your relationship is even better than it's ever been now because you went through that dark period with him. He probably didn't know what the hell was going on with you. And it's easy for them to push away because they don't get it. Yeah, exactly. He said to me, that it was it was hard you know early on in in my recovery that I I wanted him to be more affectionate but he's like but how could I have been more affectionate when the person that I love is killing themselves in front of me yeah and that and obviously I get it now and that was his defense mechanism yeah um you know if if he had walked away I think I would have got worse um, so thank God he didn't. Thank mm. God our partners stayed with us mm. through thick and thin um, and believing that we were there. I mean, I, I can't even imagine how difficult it must be for those who have had relationships break up because of this disease as well. Mm. Um, mine was almost ruined. I managed to work hard at it to get it back. And my kids, you know, they're so young. AJ really doesn't have any major recognition of things. But, you know, with Faith, I definitely had to work at things, had to make my amends with my kids. Yeah. Um, not on a not on a loud note, but in my living amends, yeah. I had to build their trust again so that Faith knew that she wasn't having to um she didn't know what she was coming home to sometimes whether I would be happy sad mm. tipsy you know I tried to I tried to contain my okay it's seven o'clock thing but that never happened but you know she had to navigate her way through me which wasn't isn't pleasant for any kid oh and I think they must go through this thing of aren't I enough for you because they don't understand it you know I know Em did it was like aren't I enough do you still have to do this why can't you just stop you know And, and as you just said previously you have to be in the right space to do it for yourself otherwise you're going to keep bouncing to and fro drinking all the time and and it got a bit like you I reached a point that I actually knew this was it. I didn't think I could give up three hours, let alone three months. And when I did each day, I worked harder each day. I got up in the morning and I said, today I will not drink alcohol. Yep. Uh, and I promised myself that I made amends as well. And I just tried to be as positive as I can. But I think it's important. I think you agree with me. You do go through a period of grieving because you said something earlier that I could really relate to. It's like having an affair. Yeah. And and the lover always wins over the person you love the most and, and your kids because they've got this tempting voice that because yeah. addicts, they woo you in. Um, and, you know, to actually say, no, actually, this relationship is over and we're done is yeah. so empowering. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I, but, yeah, you're right. You know, like, it, I, I, I kind of say it like, you know, the bottle, it promised me so much. It promised me that I was going to get this sense of belonging and I've arrived that I first got many years ago. And that never came. And then, and, and now, and now you've got me and you won't let me go. Yeah. Why can't you let me go? I need, I, like, I, I want to leave you, but it's, it's a damaging relationship with the bottle because it is, it, it, it's abducted you and took you away mm. and you can't get out of the hold. And um, so how do we get out of it? That's a good question. Well, you've got to do the work. You've got mm. to ask for help. You've got to be ready. You, you know, you get yourself to a meeting, listen to other like-minded people, meet people. Mm. Um, you know, I decided to follow the 12 steps. But the only way is to to be open, honest with yourself and be ready to give up and be done. You know, I wake up every day and I pray for a clean and sober day. And that's the first thing I do. And that comes naturally now to me. And then the last thing at night, I say, thank you for a clean and sober day. Mm, Easy. Gratitude. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And how does it look like for you now? Because you, and I'm not just giving you a load of flannel here, you look absolutely amazing. Honestly, when I met oh. you that time, <laughs> when I met you that time at the Tickle Pink thing, you, you didn't look well, I will say that, and I, I hope you don't mind me saying Not that. But now your eyes are sparkling, you look really fit and glowing, and, and the positivity I see in you is a different yeah. level completely. So you obviously are in a much better place. I am. I am. I mean, when when you first saw me, you know, I was my my liver was still healing, and um, my my body was was had been on the onset of sclerosis. Um, but my my pancreas is is doesn't work. It still doesn't. What? So I've had to battle that the last nine months, and with that comes a lot of agony on in the bathroom, and um, my um my my body doesn't digest nutrients and minerals very well, so I have to be really careful about what I eat. Um, but then it's taught me to self love myself again on the upside and I've got my energy back. I'm back at the gym exercise. I've always been so passionate about exercise and I let that go for the bottle. I let it all go. You know, I dropped everything like a hot snot just for the vodka mm. and, and that included. And now I've got that back. I am really, really enjoying life. I have ups and downs. Life arrives sometimes and it's shit. I've got to go back into surgery next week for my breasts reconstructed uh because it's got to the 10 years and i'm you know i've got to do a lot of thought and work on that you know um i'm not looking forward to it but it's got to be done but i'm in such a better place now than i was nine months ago i would have been too fragile to do it so you know the body is a miracle it really is and it does heal when you give it love Mm, absolutely and regarding hugh and the kids everything's so brilliant now yes I mean, you know, the kids do my head in yeah. and he still won't do things he promises. You know, he still forgets to take the rubbish out and whatever. But that's just fine. Like, you know, the great thing is, is that he's not met with evil me. So I can see my part in all of it. You know, most of our arguments were because of me, you know, um, because of, of the way I reacted. My reactions to things were really unnecessary and um, definitely unwarranted. Whereas now I I, I look at the big picture and I'm actually so calm and I hate arguing and I'm much better mummy. You know, I listen to my kids and then I, you know, and then I have the right to tell them off when they're naughty. I come from a parent now and not someone who's suffering, who has no right to tell somebody else what to do. And that's a really strong place to be. I've got the respect back from the kids and um, my husband, he's just one in a million, you know, he's really is. And I'm so blessed to have him. And he wouldn't have it any other way. And he sees last year as a blessing because most of the year I found myself and he found his wife back. It's so wonderful to hear. And right at the beginning of the podcast, you said to me, oh, I never used to go missing or anything. And the first thing I thought of actually you used to go missing every day. Yeah. To Hugh and the yeah. kids. I wasn't you know? at all. You, you, you wasn't <laughs> present. And Em used to say to me, you've disappeared you know, because my eyes would go and then she would pray that I would just fall asleep because she, I was so unpredictable. And that wasn't to say that I would start throwing things around, but my moods were unpredictable. It's like Russian roulette. She didn't know what was coming next and it was safer for me. She almost wanted me to drink more and more. So I pass out and then she would feel safe. And that breaks my heart, Michelle, you know, to, to think of that, but it's, do you know what strikes me with you now? It's you talk as if you've been sober for 10 years. I think you've learned so much about yourself and the process of this that You really are, you come from it from such an intelligent but mindful angle. It really strikes out to me and I'm sure to the listeners as well. And I I, honestly, I mean this, I think you're doing absolutely brilliant. And I've been tingling throughout the whole of this podcast because it's so lovely to see you grow like you have and oh. to see you now is just brilliant and it's a real example of where you've been and I've been as well because yeah. I've been in a terrible place you know drinking a litre of vodka a night for years and years yeah. and years thinking actually I'm gonna go out like this and this is what people are going to remember me for like on my tombstone I, I it'll be, uh, yeah. 
you know. But before we go, I'd love you to maybe give some advice to people that are listening to this and that they're struggling with their own addiction. What would you say to them? I mean, the, you know, the, the, the old time slogan is it's, it's okay not to be okay. Mm. The sooner you recognize, you know, that you're not okay and that you need help. That is the first step. You know, if you follow a 12 step program or not, it's the same. The first step is admitting that you are powerless over your addictions. If you can admit that you have no power, that you are drinking or using beyond your will and that nobody around you can help you stop or make you stop, then you probably are an addict and you need to ask for help, whether it's saying it out loud, writing it down on a letter, sending a text, ringing the helpline of of, of AA or CA or talk to Frank, whatever that first step is, make that first step today because it will change the rest of your life. Mm. It doesn't have to be ending today, which unfortunately we're going to lose a lot of people today. Mm. You know, I've lost a lot of people already, friends that I've made in the fellowship. Um, some I've never heard from again and some who have passed away and that's only in nine months. Um, but if some people can't ask for help and that's heartbreaking when people just can't ask for help. So first step, ask for help today. Mm. You can do it anywhere. As soon as and somebody will hear you. That's mm-hmm. the beauty of this. Somebody somewhere will hear you. I absolutely agree. And the other thing I would say is there's a huge spectrum of grey area drinkers there that yes. aren't addicted to alcohol, but they got a problem with alcohol. And if they're sitting here with a cup of tea is to just spend 10 minutes to actually think about their relationship with alcohol and think, you know, does it affect my relationship with my kids, my husband? Does it make me feel anxious the next day? Is it affecting my sleep? Am I drinking more than I should be? All these questions to ask yourself and sit there. And if the answer is yes, reach out, as you say, to AA or to the sober community or your best friend to just own that and once you own it that is where it can change yeah absolutely 100% agree with you um I know a lot of my friends since I got in recovery have asked me those questions about themselves and you know that they they have acknowledged through me getting sober their own unhealthy habits Mm. now they're not like me they're not an addict they can put it down and that's beautiful Mm. to see I'm really happy for them yeah (laughs) I really am you know little (laughs) bastards but um (laughs) but then you know that that that's that's really nice that I can you know not give a qualification okay you're okay you can go drink but just a little bit of um a nice rub off on somebody else that gets you know doesn't get to that point absolutely and i think these these conversations are so important to be open which you've been so incredibly open and i'm so grateful for that but it can change lives just listening to things like this and make people think and it's that light bulb moment where they go do you know what yeah. yeah, I have got a bit of a problem. I need to sort it out. And and that can change not just their lives, but as you and I know, our loved ones, our families, your kids growing up, you doesn't drink and you don't drink now, that's going to change things for them, you know. But, oh, Michelle, it's been so lovely um, speaking to you today. I'm so grateful. And I wish you all the best. Uh, and let's stay in touch because I just love watching your journey and Will how do. things are panning out for you. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Speak soon. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of One for the Road. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can now download my app, Sober Dave, on the Apple and Google Play Store. And on there, you will find lots of tutorials, tips and support to help you stop drinking. And there are also meditation audios, food plans and chat forums. You can also find me on Instagram at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. But until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.